I am trying to challenge this idea of the discontinuity of historical discourse and historical discipline. It's true that there are discontinuities, obviously, and that the science, in the sense that the hard science helped us to be more systematic, help historians to be more systematic, more rigorous, and so on. But we cannot forget that the most important part of, of our task is to tell stories. Welcome to a new episode of New Work in Intellectual History. Today I am talking to Dr. Jaume Aurel about his research on 20th century historians' autobiographies and how they constitute intellectual artifacts of historiographical and academic intervention. Jaume is professor at the Department of History at the University of Navarra in Spain. His research focuses on medieval and modern historiography. My name is Selma Sondan and I'm a master's student of intellectual history at the University of St. Andrews. Thank you for listening and thank you, Jama, for joining me today. In the past few years, you have been working a lot on historians' autobiographies. In addition to several articles on that topic, your research has led you to publish a monograph entitled Theoretical Perspectives on Historians' Autobiographies from Documentation to Intervention. Could you briefly outline what your book is about? Yes, this book is an analysis of 450 historians of biographies. And it has one main objective, which is analyze the evolution of 20th century historiography, reading these interesting sources. Then the second objective It appeared while I was working on it because I realized that these autobiographies are also a very interesting object of intellectual history themselves because they are intellectuals and scholars too. And the third objective, obviously, is that they are also literary artifacts. So it is also interesting to analyze this corpus from the perspective of literary criticism. So there is an historiographical an intellectual and literary critic uh, interest on this. This is quite new, I think. At least I haven't heard of something like this before. So I was wondering, how did you discover this field of research and what motivated you to then pursue it and even write a book about it? Actually, it started teaching because some of my PhD students, they asked me to read a, a, a good book in which they can learn how to do research in history. Then at some point I found very interesting a book of George Duby, L'Histoire Continue, The History Continues. George Duby, probably uh, you know, the audience knows that is one of the most relevant medievalists in the 20th century, French historians, typical of the school of the now. And in his autobiography, he is very clear on the different steps of the scholarship uh, on the itinerary of the scholar, meaning the, 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 the undergraduate studies, postgraduate, doing the PhD, the first research, how to choose the subjects. Then I thought, wow, this is a very interesting book. Can I found more of this? 
Then I found one, two, three, and finally I, I found like 450. So then I thought this could be a real, a real sources for, for, a, for a book. That's, that's how everything started, listening to students. That's a good way to approach it, um, <laughs> coming from a student myself. Um, so this focus on 20th century historians, did that come kind of through this approach or why did you choose 20th century historians rather than um, people from before? Okay, uh, well, historians, as you know, we proceed always when we are interested in one subject, we have to look for sources. So uh, I was interested in historians of biographies. And when I started doing the first research, I realized that the most part of them were in the 20th century. Why? There are probably three explanations. The first of them is, is, is history of science, because at the beginning of 20th century, histor history, historical discipline started the prof professionalization. Then the historians themselves, they realize that they have an identity, a specific identity, so that they can write about their life, but also their scholar identity. And then um, I thought I started with uh, 20th century, and my point of the end was more or less at the beginning of the 21st century, because I need some perspective on this. You know how historians we are. <laughs> we need perspective. For this. That's why 20th century was for me a perfect time. Yeah. And um, I would like to talk a bit more about the methodology of your book, um, because we have just talked about the historians that you dealt with. Um, I'd like to ask whose autobiographies have you dealt with? You said it's 450 autobiographies, so it's quite yes. a lot. Um, based on which criteria did you choose them other than they, that they are 20th century? Okay, then... Um... My interest was not only in historical discipline, but also to know how the science in general work. So the, the, the autobiographies that most interested me were the, the texts that connected subject with object, meaning the author of history with the subjects and objects he or she deals with. In this sense, for instance, um, Eric Hobsbawm's interesting years was very interesting for me because he was a Marxist historian, very typical Marxist historian, and I realized how his ideology and his methodology, Marxist methodology, really was present not only in his scholar work, but also in the way he perceived himself. I'm going to put you an example how interesting it is, I was giving a seminar to my colleagues of literary criticism here in the University of Navarre about this subject. At some point, I told them, as, as if it were normal, look, uh, Hobsbawm uh, autobiography has like 200 or 300 footnotes. And then everybody laughed. Everybody was smiling and, and, and they thought, what's happening? And they say, it's impossible. Orthography has, has not to be footnotes. But then I realized how the Marxism as science and the Marxism as, as the way to look history as a science was inside Hobsbawm that he also had to connect the, his memory with an external source. source. 
Then another interesting kind of autobiographies were the most postmodern, as I told them, as I say them in, in, in the book, that they are able to write a real literary text. For instance, a wonderful book is Jill Conway. Jill Conway was an important historian. She was the first director of the Smith College in, in Boston, and, and she did a very interesting uh, PhD on the first women reformers in the, in the US. So Jill Conway, it's very interesting how she tells the story, how she entered the department of Harvard and did how difficult it was for her to enter that men world. <laughs> so, and then finally she became the director of the department. It's a wonderful story told by a wonderful historian talking by herself. So it's it, that, that kind of history. And finally, to put just three examples, uh, another very interesting um, text for me <clears throat> was Robert Rosenstone's The Man Who Swam Into History. Robert Rosenstone is, uh, is one of the most prominent historians that have, has analyzed the connections between history and film. And it's very interesting how he conceives his autobiography as a film. And he tells the story very, very, very funny. So I'm giving these three examples because um, it was very interesting to, to demonstrate that the historians, they tell their own history or their own story like they do history. Yeah. So in some sense, how the profession, especially this intellectual profession, is inside us and, and, and form of our lives and, and everything. Kind of fascinating. Yeah, I can put a lot of examples, but I prefer <laughs> to, to only put some of them because otherwise. <laughs> well, you, you just outlined three different examples of the historians that you deal with. And um, as I understand, in total, you examined or you kind of subdivided the historians into six groups. Um, you've talked about two of them, uh, the Marxist and the postmodern ones. And there is another group called the interventional historians that caught my interest. I don't know the term. Is it a term that you came up with and what does it mean? Well, in some sense, I created the, the or found an interesting term to, to apply to my analysis. Interventional, in my view, means that they use, these historians use their autobiography to intervene in the historiographical debate. So, uh, meaning, um, I'm going to tell the story of my academic itinerary so that you can see that my historiographical choices were the best, so that you can follow me. And this is a very typical postmodern movement. It's, it's a performative autobiography because they not only write, but they want to intervene. They want to, to change the course of historiography, telling their own uh, lives. For instance, there is a very interesting historiography, um, autobiography, excuse me, Geoff Ellie. It's a British historian, social, histori social history historian. And he wrote an autobiography, it's a crooked line, uh, uh, which is a, a, a line which is changing. So he tells from 
um, from the his his studies in in Britain, 50s, 60s, very traditional history, then entered the Marxism in the 70s, then the postmodernism came into his life, not only his, and then he, he, he explains very well the different historiographical steps he experienced so that we can learn how to approach them. And another very, very brilliant autobiography, it's Gabriel Spiegel, She's a professor in Job Hopkins. And I understood perfectly the linguistic turning history reading this autobiography. Because Spiegel told that when, when he was, when she, excuse me, was a girl, um, her, her parents, they took German and French. And then they had to move to America because of the Second World War, and she had to study English in the school. So she said, look, my father uh, said me things in, in, in English, my mother in French, and I had to study English at school. How the language cannot be important for me? So that, that she understood very well the linguistic term, which is what's happening in herself, not only in her scholarship. Um. These stories already lead us a bit into the findings sections. Um, before we do that, um, I would like to ask you which research questions you set yourself in approaching this research for the book, for the articles. How did you, with which perspective did you start reading the autobiographies? Okay, I was primarily interested in, in the properly historiographical um, things that they say. That's why I started with Dubis, Histoire Continue, which is an impeccable scholar story, scholarship story. But then little by little, I realized that the other historians were uh, able to tell not only the story of their scholarship, but also the intellectual entourage, the intellectual context that, that they lived, then even some of them, they entered their personal life. So little by little, I was primarily interested in the historiographical specific question. Then little by little, I realized that these are a very interesting corpus of intellectual history and particularly disciplinary history. Probably we, we will talk uh, on this afterwards, but this project could be done by in philosophy, symbolic of, of anthropology, literary criticism or other sciences, because finally uh, the discipline, it's very important for us because it locates us in a context that we cannot, well, in some sense we are in, we try to go outside the rules of the disciplines, but we know as Thomas Kuhn said in the, in the revolution or the structure of, of, of scientific revolutions, that in some sense we have to, to, to move slowly because the others that, that they did the work before, we have to take account of them. Then we have to renew the discipline. That, that's, that's more or less my interest. Yeah. And you've talked about how you found that autobiography constitutes a form of historiography, really. Um, 
is there anything you, you would like to add to that as to what that means? And especially how did you find was analyzing autobiographies different from analyzing monographs or other sources? What would you say are the additional insights that they can provide? Okay, uh, the first point is that um, these books, these autobiographies are in some sense monographs because the historians, uh, they really work doing monographs. I am, I'm convinced that monographs are more important in history than papers. Well, you can construct some monographs if you have six or seven papers in, in a subject, but we know historians that the way to, 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 to do a, a historical approach is to, to analyze hundreds and thousands of data and then to put it in a book. That's why papers, it's difficult. It's very funny how they conceive their autobiography in some sense like a monography. So that's why when I was reading the, these autobiographies, I thought, wow, this is a real historical artifact. It's not an historiographical or literary artifact. It's history itself. That's why uh, in terms of historical genres, uh, it is very interesting to, to, to compare how historians write autobiography, biography, and monography. And in some sense, there are some common traits that they, for instance, let me put some examples on this. Uh, I, I mentioned before Hobsbawm interesting years. If you read it, it's a perfect monograph on how Marxism enter European intellectuality. It's perfect. Or for instance, if you read another marvelous uh, autobiographist, Natalie Davis, uh, she's a very, very interesting historian. She wrote a book, probably one of the most influential books in historiography in the 20th century, The Return of Martin Gere, which is the, the book that, that we put as example of narrative history. So she writes an autobiography uh, telling the story of how social science can improve the world itself. Because Natalie Davis was also involved in improving the war, not only to understand the war, but improving it. And another example that came to my mind, very, very interesting, is Caroline Stittman, a Landscape for a Good Woman, which is a, this British historian. She explains the story of her mother, who was a typical example of working social class at the beginning of the 50s in Great Britain. So a society recovering of the Second World War. And, and she explains marvelously how you can understand social history understanding your own family. So these are some examples that, that came to my mind when, when I was interested in, in understanding not only historiography, but also history. And then these autobiographies are very interesting to understand everything in some sense, <laughs> not only the historians' lives. Yeah. And so what have you found when reading the individual autobiographies? Were there commonalities between the, I mean, you've analyzed 450 um, autobiographies. Uh, were there any commonalities, any differences that stroke you? Um, and could you even derive like 
general tendencies for the groups that you defined? Okay, I'm going to start uh, this answer um, telling that one of the criticism, nice criticism, would say, but the criticism that I, uh, one of the reviewers of the book uh, said, she was a literary criticism and she said, wow, this is an interesting study, but the, but the author is interested in putting the historians in the boxes because she's always he's always trying to categorize the sources. And it was interesting for me because it's true. As a historian, probably if, if this, this, this monograph was were done by a literary criticist, uh, probably he or she would have done a different thing. But I was trying to, as you asked, to, to differentiate some of them and to categorize. And then primarily I find a, a, a basic difference. It's very different the autobiographies written in the interwar period, meaning 20s and 30s, 1920s and 30s, then the post-war period, 50s, 60s, and 70s, <clears throat> and I would say the postmodern period, 80s, 90s, and beginnings of the 20th century. Uh, the first of these groups in interwar periods, they were still very interested in history as, as humanism. And then we have a, a Two examples, two clear examples here, Benedetto Croce and Robin Collingwood. These two guys are probably known by the, the audience because they, they are really influenced the history of the science in general. They wrote a very, uh, let's say, humanistic autobiography. That means that they were idealizing their studies in Oxford, Cambridge, and, and, and the typical um, academic world still, still very, very classic in the sense that they, 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 they knew Latin, Greek, all the ancient sources and so on. But then in the next period, post-war, um, all the humanist, humanities and social sciences, the Marxism, the quantitativism, the structuralism, they were like, like science, uh, not only um, humanities. So they wrote a more scientific um, autobiographies that they focus on the scholarly itinerary. And it's interesting to, to see that some of them enter in politics, Another more in ideology are more ideologists, another are more, for instance, Carlos Eire against the Fidel Castro, and so on. And then the last group, the postmodern and the interventional, as you said before, these are two groups in the last years, they are more able to really tell a story, a whole story of their life not only in the sense of idealizing the academic war or politics or ideology. Look, I'm going to tell my, my life and then you're going to learn something. That, that's more or less the, so that the common things are different in these three periods. And I would say it's difficult to find a common, a common thing because even the use of the I, typical of the autobiography, is very different on them because the I, of the humanistic historians of the interwar period 
is very collective. The I of the second group, the post-war historians, is more scientific. So there is no authorship, barely. They, they are hidden in an anal school or Marxist school or whatever. And then the last group is the more I of the, of the, of the historians, but because they don't, they, they don't have fear of telling the personal stories, mixed it with academic and so on. Yeah. I, I wonder, is that what you mean by your subtitle from documentation to intervention? That's exact. Yeah. So at the beginning, they see autobiography, historians, they see autobiography as, as an object that they have to approach, like another object. Look, I studied the French in 16th century. I'm going to study myself. <laughs> But then little, this is documentation because mm -hmm. you can use their autobiography as a historical source. Then the last group, or the last group in the postmodern historians and so on, they use autobiography to intervene in the world, more mm -hmm. performative. Look, I'm going to tell the story, but, but learn about it and think about it. And, and they are more, not like the status of the ancient world, yeah. but a, a living thing. That's, that's why I put this, this subtitle, from documentation to intervention. Yeah. Intervention in the sense, intervening the world, mediating the world and so yeah. on. And you've also worked on medieval historiography before. So this goes a bit beyond this book, but um, when reading it, I was wondering to what extent could you find lines of comparison to medieval times? Is that even possible? Is that desirable? Um, and yeah, is there, is there a comparison between autobiography and medieval yeah. and in modern historiography? That's an important question for me. In my agenda, in my personal agenda, I, I would like to break the, the basic story that we have been told about the evolution of historiography, meaning that Ranke and the historicism and positivism were a real break of historiography. Look, if you are medievalist and you know the, the, the medieval historiography, you, you realize that all historians tell stories. The most important thing and the most common thing is narration. Science, when, when the 19th century enters science in history, it was okay, but it, historians still tell stories. And if, if, and, and if we don't tell stories, we are not read by the audience. So the scientific experiments, it lasted only 1950, 1960, when all the historians were putting the statistics and Brodel constructed the Mediterranean, that book, based on, on thousands and thousands of statistics and so on, but it didn't work. So finally, we are returning now in the postmodern wage to a way of writing stories, like medieval historians wrote history. And then let me add another thing. At the beginning of this interview, you asked me what, what was the first movement for this? There is a second movement here. When I was writing my monograph on medieval historiography, which I finally published under the title Authoring the Past, um, I found two kings autobiographies in my own land, Catalan uh, kings, that they wrote the story of their kingdom writing their life. So 
I could and I can, we have not time enough now to, to expand this subject, but I found interesting parallelism between these medieval kings of the biographies that they were really one to, wanted to, to, to write this, a history of the kingdom using their autobiography with these other postmodern historians that they want to write the history of historiography using their own autobiography. So it's fascinating how as a medievalist, I could connect these two worlds. And I, I'm, I'm trying to connect because my next project is more or less connected with this reality. <clears throat> it, it does seem like autobiographies are sort of an untapped source in, in history. Um, but you talked about this earlier, uh, about how you think this approach could also be transferred to other disciplines beyond history. And I, I wanted to ask about that. Um, where do you see potential for this type of study? Well, exactly. Yeah, I think there are several disciplines that could, could apply these this, this studies because finally we are immersed in, in, a, in a scholarship that it's very influential for the results of our science. We cannot say we are totally free writing history or writing philosophy or, or doing science in general, because we are part of a community. So um, more and more we have to know this community to understand also what is, is bad for our science in the sense that there are some bias, some prejudices, or some traditions that we have to break in our discipline. That's why I think it's, very, it's a very interesting project also for other disciplines that could be. Um, yeah, you just kind of outlined again how the historian is sort of like author and actor in history at the same time. Uh, you said that in a recent article as well in Rethinking History. Um, from a, from a personal interest. I was also wondering, do you think the study of historians' autobiographies holds any advice for historians on how to negotiate this double role themselves? Well, this, this um, when we read uh, historians' autobiographies, we can learn of ourselves. I remember very well one of the sentences of, of Jill Conway uh, autobiography, she said the, the, our interest in biography and autobiography is the magical opportunity to enter the other's lives. It's, it's true, they are opening, especially if they are interesting people like these historians, uh, they are opening their book, their life, so that, that you can learn. So I think it's very interesting, even for teaching, to use these autobiographical articles. We're coming to the end of this interview, but allow me one last question. You've hinted at this before. Um, where has the research for your book taken you? What are you working on at the moment? Well, exactly. This book brought me to, uh, to another, another in interesting, I think, question. What is a classic in history, in historiography? in the sense that there are other disciplines like art or, lit or, or, or literature that they have a, some canon, some, some books that are classics, that are permanent, that are durable. So may, may we have the same idea for historiography? 
I'm finding a, a big difficulty that historiography is science and art at the same time. At the same time. So if it would only if it would be only art, no problem. We have we have make a canon, a classic, or whatever. But it's science too. So I'm dealing with this, and and finally, what I am wondering is this idea of the continuity of historical discourse that sometimes we had. Look, Herodotus, Ranke, Haydn, White. There are breakings of 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 historical discipline on writing. Um, I am trying to challenge this idea of the discontinuity of historical discourse and historical discipline. It's true that there are discontinuities, obviously, and that the science, in the sense that the hard science helped us to be more systematic, help historians to be more systematic, more rigorous, and so on. But we cannot forget that the most important part of, of our task is to tell stories. <laughs> so if, if, if we forget this, like, like these historians that they wanted to write their autobiography because they, 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 they felt that they had the constraint jacket that, 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 that was difficult for them to tell the things like they really are. So science in some sense for history could damage our interest and or, uh, or, or access to the past. Because the past was not an assemblage of numbers, an assemblage of statistics, a group of, of people. It was real people, individual people. So that I feel that in, the, in this brief period of, of scientific uh, invasion of history, we have lost everything. We have not lost, uh, excuse me, we have lost a little part of us, not everything, obviously, because it has helped. But it, Something is missed there. In, in have missed, have, we have lost something in, in the in the in translation, as they say. Uh, so that's why uh, finishing this idea, I am interested now in, in 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 the terms of the classic and canon, in the sense that try to find continuities. I know that we are not in an age, in a period that look for continuities. We are in a Foucauldian age that is always looking for genealogy rather than canons or classics. I'm aware of this. In some sense, it's a contra-cultural uh, project, but that's why I'm interested in <laughs> Because in some sense, scholars, we are always trying to counteract, uh, <laughs> uh, make a, a counter-proposition. Uh, so that's why. Mm. Well, I've already uh, had a read of one of the articles you published on this, and I'm very much looking forward to reading more about this. Um, that's it for the interview today. I thank you very much for this talk. It's been very interesting and I look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.